Welcome to Business Unmuted, thanks to our sponsor Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans and motorcycles. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb and I've owned Recognition PR for nearly 35 years. We've 75 clients in multiple sectors based across the UK and between them they have a turnover of approximately £6 billion and employ around 30,000 staff. So we're at the front line of the business community and perfectly placed to discuss the economic climate and there's a lot to discuss. In the studio we've got Kate Cooper Fay, Group CEO of CXE or Sexy, an experienced Group CEO and non-executive director, advisor and professional speaker. Her business CXE supports all organizations with businesses and, and businesses with cultural information and transformation with the customer in mind. Getting the customer journey right, that's what Kate is all about. We also have Stuart Dixon, he's CEO of Weirdale Lithium, a highly experienced corporate financier and company director with a specialism in the metals and minerals sector. Stuart and his team at Weirdale Lithium are using an innovative, innovative approach to recover lithium that can be used in the production of electric vehicle batteries. And down the line we've got Howard Cox, founder of Fair Fuel UK, which campaigns to reduce charges on petrol and diesel vehicles, most notably fuel duty. Howard has been a regular in the media for many, many years, and he was in Parliament just today and yesterday talking all things fuel related. Thank you for joining us. Howard, we're going to start with you because you've been in Parliament recently and that's where all the action is in the media at the moment. Um, of course, the economy, we've seen inflation go up. We've seen political uh, uh, cataclysm with what's happening with Liz Truss. What was the, uh, uh, the atmosphere like in Parliament this week? Well, thank you for having me on here. I, uh, well, fundamentally, there's a lot of doom and gloom. Uh, if you look at Labour, they're pretty happy. Uh, and they're smiley faces. Now, in fact, a lot of them came up to talk to me today, more than normal, really. But the, the Tories, they're, they're, they're in two camps. And it really splits between the Rishi Sunak uh, and uh, versus the Liz Truss. But Liz Truss people are actually waning. There's no doubt mm. about it. Mm. Uh, I, I was uh, had a long chat with Craig McKinley, MP, he's MP for North Thanet in Kent, and he's chairman of the Net Zero Scrutiny Group. So the the global warming uh, uh, or the climate change interest, etc. And and he he summed it up for me really. He said. Uh, I'm afraid everything is short-termism at the moment. And what we're looking at, uh, no one's thinking long-term at the moment in time. Uh, but Howard, you would appreciate more than anyone, we should be looking at short-term because the cost of living crisis is the issue that is at the front of every one of their constituents. And uh, and that's really what I was talking about. And okay. I was asking simply, please, can we cut fuel duty big, big as we've done in Europe? Okay, well, let's get on to that. Obviously, full disclosure, my my own personal life in politics, I supported Rishi Sunak and campaigned for him to become leader. I've ended up with, uh, in the Conservative politics, the, the policies I wanted, but the leader I didn't. Uh, but that's another story. Howard, let's talk about the cost of living, because inflation went up to over 10% again today. Um, and it strikes me that some of the uh, policies you are advocating, if implemented, whilst they would cost the public purse, they would also reduce inflation. Can you amplify on that? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I, I've been I've set up the campaign in 2011 when uh, we had a certain uh, David Cameron and George Osborne in power, and we, we were just coming off the back of a potential fuel price escalator, whereby uh, if uh, Gordon Brown uh, would government would actually pursued this, pump prices would be about another pound a litre now. And thank God we've had a freeze since then. That's what really the core of our campaign is to keep fuel duty down. But we're still the highest tax drivers in the world. 
Uh, and that's the, the, the bad news. And so we're going to continue to fight for a low cut in fuel duty. And, and simply because it's proven the CBR and even the Treasury have shown that if you cut fuel duty, you'll get uh, more jobs, you'll get uh, increase in wages and you'll lower inflation, as you quite rightly pointed out. And recently, uh, Germany, they cut theirs by 25 pence. And in the month following, their inflation fell by 0.4%, nearly half a percent. It, it's a no brainer. And guess what? more uh, income comes into the treasury because it adds to put more money in their pockets they spend more uh, the government still get their shed load of vat which I, I object to incredibly the fact that vat is on top of the duty to double taxation uh, so we're fighting on that front as well uh, and the other one that we're fighting on as well we want transparency at the pumps because if i ask your studio guests there and your viewers this question how are pump prices uh, calculated related to oil prices uh, could someone give me their answer? Because I give them £20,000 now from my own money to actually, so that's how convinced they wouldn't know the answer. Because when oil goes up, uh, it, you know, pump prices go up like a rocket. When oil goes down, they come down like a feather and they never come down by as much. And uh, everyone is confused now because of the 2030 diesel petrol ban that's been inflicted on us. And, and can I put point now my proverbial colours to the uh, to the mast? I, I am pro-electric vehicles. I really, really am. But what I don't like is the fact we're being forced into a situation where people are confused. We've got 1.7 million supporters and something like 90% of them are saying to me on a regular basis, please, what do am I supposed to buy? I've got not got a clue what I've got to do in the next seven years. And and, and I applaud that, you know, we've got to get lithium out. I'd rather have lithium coming out here commercially than from some Belgium Congo, uh, you know, someone who's you know, a young kid going down in terms of slave labor. So I'm working hard on those sorts of issues, but the biggest one for me cut fuel duty to get the cost of living down. Okay, uh, I, I do agree with you, uh, but I, I've got to put the other side just very quickly. Net zero, the, uh, the, the uh, intention of our country to try and cut its carbon footprint, the argument would go that if you have high price fuel, you are going to drive people to low carbon transport. Uh, the uh, disincentive uh, to uh, to drive a vehicle a long, long way is the kind of thing that these just stop oil protesters are splashing Van Goghs with soup for and gluing themselves to the street for. And they feel passionately that something needs to be done by governments to change habits. Well, I don't share that uh, feeling whatsoever because I... I don't share that. I think that climate is changing, but it's not a crisis. Uh, and, and it's as simple as that. We do need to breathe clean air. I, I want to breathe clean air. I want my children to do it, my family to breathe clean air. I want the environment to be lovely for all of us. But I'm sorry, uh, I don't actually subscribe to the fact that everyone should be actually worrying about carbon dioxide. I, it, carbon dioxide is, is actually a fertilizer. It's actually the reason why we've got a greener planet we've ever had. I can go on forever about this, but this is not about climate change, this, this meeting. As, as far as I'm concerned, what we should be looking at is the serious issue of the cost of living crisis today. People can't afford to get to work people can't afford yeah. even, there are people who can't even get to their medical appointments they used to have weekly medical appointments they're doing it monthly now people aren't going to the cinema the theater the restaurants so the impact of the cost of fuel the cost of logistics is vast and i'm backed by the road haulage association and something like 40 percent of an average trucking firm of about 50 trucks is fuel 40 percent we're looking at and so every one p rise or two p rise you imagine what that does to the bottom line they can't invest in new staff new training or cleaner kit 
and we need cleaner fuel. Uh, one of the things I wrote a report for the all-party parliamentary group, which I was secretary to, uh, which simply said this and asked this question, please can we have a cost-benefit analysis of what the 2030 ban means to the economy? Mm, mm. Uh, well, that came out last week. I, I wrote for The Sun and it was on the front page of The Sun. And fundamentally, what we're doing with the 2030 ban, the benefits of that is about 75 billion, but the cost of getting that 75 billion Guess what? It's 400 billion. Wow. Five times. That's a so very every, interesting every, every bit of data. Of, every pound of benefit is going to cost us five pounds. Let's get real. Let's really have some common sense policies and please cut fuel duty. OK, right. You've made your case. I'm going to put one more argument against your case. I don't I don't fully subscribe to it, but let's just put it out there. Governments always tax transport to the point that there are still there were there were toll bridges and toll roads all over the country in the 17th 18th 19th century uh, governments tax things that people need whether it be windows or beer uh, this is just something that the government needs the revenue from it the government makes commitments it needs to fund its health service its defense service its welfare policies it does actually need the cash well, I come from the John Redwood School of Politics, which is if you have lower taxation, you get more money uh, into the revenue, into the exchequer. Uh, what, what we're seeing at the moment in time, and, and this is what the problem is, we're a, a country that uses motorists as a cash cows. Mm. They are the fundamentally the fifth largest income to the Treasury comes from drivers, 50 billion a year, of which 27 billion has been fuel duty. Add the VAT, it goes up to 35 billion. I, I'm just, what we've got to talk about is how do you actually maintain that but actually put more money into people's pockets. And the way you maintain it is to cut fuel duty. So they've got more money to spend. They go out shopping, etc. Uh, and logistics, the cost of logistics comes down. Therefore, they have got more uh, profit. They, they pay more corporation tax. I don't need to teach grannies to suck eggs around this meeting. So with respect, uh, what I say to all your viewers, etc. let's motivate and incentivize the economy rather than use the stick. Okay, well, and, and of course, one of the great things that goes alongside in, in incentives is innovation. Let's talk to you, Stuart. You're doing something very innovative. You've come up to the North Pennines, the hills of Weirdale, and you've put some private money in to exploring for lithium. Wow. Is it possible that there is lithium on our doorstep? Well, we prove there is. Um, and we're delighted to uh, embark on this really exciting venture to sustainably produce lithium and generate geothermal energy from naturally occurring geothermal brines in County Durham. So the lithium is contained in water, isn't it? It's not mined as a raw mineral like in Africa and, and, and other parts of the world. That, that's correct. And that's really what's quite new is uh, seeking to produce lithium from geothermal brines. Most lithium currently produced is from hard rock or really environmentally damaging salars, salty lakes in South America. And so you have a supply chain of lithium which is fundamental to electric vehicle batteries as you quite rightly pointed out in fact future demand is 95 percent driven by electric vehicle battery requirements um, so if net zero is going to happen if the adoption of the government's targets for electric vehicles is going to happen we need a lot more supply and we have a great shortage of it in fact there is no lithium produced in the uk today there is no lithium produced in europe today we are wholly reliant on export, sorry, imports from uh, South America, China and Australia for raw materials. And then when you take that further into the supply chain, 90% of processed lithium comes from China. And it's a long way away, never mind the democratic deficit of uh, buying from China. It, the shipping cost must be tremendous. Well, yes, this is, this, this is adding to um, 
the cost, uh, the operating crisis that we have. You know, the cost of operating is the cost of living crisis for business. Um, it's the same thing. And so what we want to produce is a product which really tackles the energy trilemma we find today, which mm. is availability, security, sustainability, and affordability of mm. that. Mm. So that's why domestic supply is so important. Let me just pick you up on some of the more technical details without going into a science programme. So the lithium is contained within the brine that is within the Pennines. And I understand that other companies are looking in Cornish lithium as well. So it's not just in the North Pennines. Um, you extract it and you haven't yet taken it to the point that you can take the lithium easily out of the brine. Have you looking at different techniques? That's right. This is a brand new industry and it's the only way that uh, Europe and other developed market economies who don't have the geological uh, benefit of hard rock lithium deposits are going to tackle their own supply. So we've successfully extracted um, the water from uh, test bore holes in uh, uh, County Durham, in Weirdale specifically, and uh, we've proven the lithium concentrations, we've proven the flow rates which are really attractive, and now we're working with um, technology providers called Direct Lithium Extraction Technologies, which is a completely new industry. This is an industry less than two years, three years old. And so we're right at the vanguard of new innovation and we're bringing it here to the Northeast. And the Northeast is innovating in this area. There are battery manufacturers, battery inverter manufacturers, there's hydrogen catalyzers going on and Tease Works where I'm on the, the board. Uh, uh, and there's, uh, there's carbon, ca carbon capture and storage going on. So a lot, a lot of this stuff is coming to the Northeast. And um, what about the site you've got? Because it's an old school site, isn't it? It's not, you know, it's beautiful countryside, but the actual site isn't. Well, the site's really unique. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're based around Eastgate um, in, in Weirdale, and we're, the objective is to build our business and our plant around the former cement works, which closed over 20 years ago now, with a loss of over 150 jobs. So we're looking to reignite new industry, clean industry, in an environmentally beautiful location, but creating high value science, technology, engineering jobs in, in that part of the and world. And how ironic that a cement works is one of the highest carbon users there is, because you needed heat and energy to run it. And now you might be producing at, at scale uh, something that will tackle the carbon issue. Well, that's quite right. Um, you can't have net zero without critical raw materials. We need to produce our own raw materials, but also we need to produce them with a very high ESG uh, environmental social governance uh, credibility and that's one thing that's right at the forefront of what we're doing. How does it link to the industrial areas of Teesside and uh, Sunderland and Newcastle and so on? So as well as having a unique geological endowment here, um, there's only here in Cornwall as you quite rightly said that have the granites that enable this lithium enriched water to exist. Um, the, we're at, right at the epicentre of the supply chain in the Northeast for electrification and also battery manufacturing. So from our perspective, it's a unique location from a geology point of view, but also a unique location from an industry and supply chain. Great. Howard, I hope you're hearing that. You can <laughs> next in Parliament, tell them all about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I th I'm quite excited by what's happening. I, I, I'm, I'm going to follow this very closely. And uh, the, the important thing is information. A lot of people don't get this information. I wasn't aware. I knew about Cornwall. 
but I wasn't aware of the Northeast uh, getting involved with this. So uh, we've we got to really pursue this. And I'm delighted to make it, hopefully it's going to be a commercial venture because unfortunately lithium will become much more of a commodity and you're going to see these speculators trying to profiteer from it. And that's the thing I want to stop. All right. Well, let's move, move on to change the subject a little bit. We bring Kate Cooper-Fay from CXE, or CXY. Uh, and Kate, uh, it's really nice to have you here. You've, you've advised a lot of top firms, haven't you, on the customer journey. Tell us the kind of firms you've been involved with. Yeah, so uh, we've been very, uh, very fortunate and we've worked with some of the leading companies in the world, um, including Tesco's and Marks and Spencer's, Walmart in the US, Lento in Russia, dare I say that? <laughs> so, um, as well as industry. So we've worked for both the energy sector and the rail industry um, and we continue to support FTSE 250 organisations um, around the world. So. Now you see a, 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 an economy that is at the moment lacking any kind of stability. You see businesses that are anxious about whether they're going to sell or not. Although I have to say, I've talked to some of my bigger clients who've had some reasonably good weekends recently, okay. despite all the turmoil. But if you are running a business and it relies on customers regularly returning and spending, uh, you don't have to surrender to the world outside, do you? You can, some, to some extent, make your own look. Yes, um, and it's interesting, um, you know, the conversations we've been having here. Um, we've actually had a, our own conversations internally, and uh, and it was around, you know, what does all this mean to the customer? Um, well, at the moment, it's all pretty grim for the customer. Um, you know, just some of the things we've been talking about today, you know, the cost of fuel means that generally the customer, the public, is struggling to travel and all that great stuff. Never mind that because of the cost of fuel, products are going up, it's having a knock-on impact in the supply chain. But equally, we also have a very savvy customer and a customer who at the moment is very concerned about the environmental impact. Um, so organisations that are driving forward with ESG are actually going to be seen to be leading the way. Um, and I think you know what's really important is to understand that all of these priorities, if handled well, do two things. Top line revenue, bottom line profit by reducing costs. Um, and I think, you know, if businesses are focusing on what matters the most to the right customers, then actually this right now can be an incredible opportunity, um, rather than what's being seen to be pretty grim at the moment. Um, and with that, you know, some of the things that we would counsel people to do um, as we are you know, going through these times of uncertainty is actually really scrutinise your customer base and really understand which customers are right for your business and actually those are the customers that you need to focus on the most and invest in those customers. And of course, we all know it's very expensive to get new customers and right now they need more care than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Because they are going to go somewhere for a pound less. I had a, I had a team talk with my own team, and and we were just thinking, well, what's is it going to? Is the economy going to take our business down? Is it going to take our business up? How do you do it? And it reminded myself, just I've been in business thirty four years. There are only four ways to make money in business: more customers, the same customers buying more, put your prices up, or cut your costs. Well, I I, I didn't want to lay people off and cut my costs <laughs> a lot. The prices are high enough, thank you very much. So the first two strike me as the best way to go. More customers or the same customers buying more. And, and is that the kind of attitude that you want to stimulate within your customer base? Well, business is very simple, Graham. It's about customers and cash. And mm. without those customers, we haven't got the cash. So where are you going to focus your efforts? 
clearly on your customer. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and actually, you know, you're absolutely right, more, more customers and more from customers. And I think, again, when we look at the cost, cost of customer acquisition, I would really be thinking about actually how do we retain the customer, customers we've got? Current times are driving outstanding innovations. So how are we being more innovative to enable mm. us to b provide better products and services for our customers? But equally, because of where we are, the customer is actually being more choosy now about where it spends its money. Um, so, and as we said, you know, they will jump ship for somebody that's going to be a pound less if they're getting the same experience. But because they're going to be spending less often, possibly more, they will want a greater experience. So investing in that customer and keeping that customer is absolutely critical and upselling to that customer. And then, of course, they then become the ambassador of your brand. Mm. And what does that mean? They're going to share. And if they share, what does that do? Customers come to you. A lot cheaper than marketing. Sorry, marketing people who are listening to this. So, so, but, but, you know, but joking aside. I, I do. I accept that. I, I mean, we were in a PR firm in, in my yeah. day job rather than presenting this. I were in a PR firm. Do you know what? I never take a discount from my clients. I'm very proud of that. I always, if I, if I shop, I always shop with my clients. So I'm a member of Duncan Bandheim's Health Club. I wouldn't dream of asking them for a discount. But I tell you what, I feel entitled to complain if it goes wrong. It never does, Duncan, I promise you. But he'd be the first to want to know. I buy my cars from Virtue Motors, our sponsor, and I tell you what, I didn't ask for a discount, wouldn't ask for a discount, but I would feel entitled to complain to the CEO, and he'd want to hear if it went wrong. The uh, idea of leaders in business being open to complaints, what's your view on that? Well, so it's very interesting, isn't it? So uh, obviously, a lot of what we do is around customer insight and customer intel. And it always amuses me when we're going to an organisation and we're given all the customers to interview that love them. Well, frankly, that's no use to man or ornament um, because there's the customers that don't love you so much that will tell you mm. where you need to make the changes in your business. And I always think as a leader, if you don't know, you can't change it. And of course, what tends to happen the majority of the time is we will lose a customer and we don't know why because mm. they don't tell us. So actually knowing is critical because then we can change. I just stayed at a Hilton hotel and it was a very nice hotel I have to say but I got bombarded with emails please fill in our survey I didn't fill it in please fill in our survey I didn't fill it in please fill in our survey I filled the survey in 10 10 10 10 10 I just wanted it off my email what do you think of those things? <laughs> I'm probably not the right person to ask oh, about Hilton, given they're a client of ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've probably instigated some of this. Mm. Do you know, and, and again, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? So the whole customer piece is about balance, because actually by doing what you think is right by the customer, you can actually be choosing the customer off. Mm. Um, you know, and the whole customer experience piece, you know, I might be thinking as a, a supplier that I'm delivering an amazing customer experience by doing something like that actually you're not you know you're actually starting to disgruntle the customer and i often think if a customer wants to give you feedback they will and again you know as an individual um you know we're all quick to complain but if somebody does something really well i am very quick to share it these days as well because i think that's important um so i think it's it's about balance i don't think there's any wrong with an organization asking for feedback but i think to keep badgering somebody probably isn't the right approach um so yeah and again it's about understanding your customers and to be fair Sorry, Hilton, um, doing that after you, you've left the hotel probably isn't the best time to do it either. Mm. Um, they should, probably should have got your feedback there. Well, I have to say, though, uh, if I had a problem with the hotel, they would have heard about it pretty damn quick. Absolutely. But that's another matter. But it was a lovely everyone, hotel, in fairness. Not everyone's like you, Graham. Yeah, yeah. No, not everyone's <laughs> like me. Well, look, I, I just want to tell uh, our viewers that 
Uh, Kate has talked about a lot of big name companies uh, on her talk with us today, but I know you work for SME companies we occasionally do. as well. Yeah. They're not your, your always uh, your staple diet, but you, you really do want to give the benefit of their advice further down the food chain if possible. Well, that's the whole reason why we really came about, and I am very proud to announce here, I'm going to do a little bit of a sales pitch here, we have just launched the CXE Academy, which is particularly focused to SMEs, and it is a very intensive um, sort of training programme, if you like, that trains SMEs how to do all this great stuff themselves. So they don't have to pay fortunes for consultants to come in and do it for them and with them. So, Well, Kate, thank you for telling us about yes. that. I hope, I hope people get in touch with <laughs> Kate Cooper Fay, CXY. Uh, Stuart, thank you for joining me. Howard, you've been great down the line there. Uh, do keep pressing the case. I'm sure all of us drivers would like you to do so. And uh, you made a very cogent uh, point uh, today. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you again, again, I hope, on our programme. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. More Business Unmuted, same time next week.